Kauf Chowdhury works in digital transformation at Google. He has also worked for AWS, the Dow Jones, and some other large companies. He went to college for a bit, but it just wasn't for him. He just had an urge to enter the workforce. He got several technical certifications and built computers as a hobby. Tauf got really good at tech support and then worked some temp jobs. He had a temp job at Forest Laboratories and this is where he got his big break. He gained more responsibility over the course of six years and got a full-time job. He took ownership whenever he could and picked up a lot of customer service skills. He always made sure to level up his skills and took ownership wherever he went. He had a philosophy of always saying yes and exploring opportunities. Listen to learn how Tauf moved up the corporate ladder and landed a job at Google. Visit NoDuty.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today I have on Tof Chowdhury. Do you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Tof. I'm from New York. Um, came here when I was five from uh, Bangladesh and uh, been in New York all my life. And currently I work at uh, Google as a digital transformation consultant. And I've uh, been here for a little over a year um, and looking forward to sharing my story. And what? are some of the other companies that you've worked at in the past? Pretty diverse background. Uh, before Google, I worked at a company called Second Watch, which is a partner of Google and Amazon. And then uh, I also worked at uh, Amazon at AWS for a couple of years. And before that, I was with um, News Corp, uh, specifically Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal. And I had my own consulting company for a couple of years before right, that as so well. You've really done a lot. And you, you sort of started your career in about, what, what 2005? Yeah, it was around 2004, 2005. You know, my first full-time gig was really 2005. Okay, cool. So let's kind of take it back to high school. Would you want to be in high school and how was high school like for you? Yeah, high school was fun. I was on the football team and I was just, I didn't have to work too hard to get good grades. So uh, I had a over 95 or whatever average, right? And, and uh, I was just kind of cruising. And afterwards, I knew what, you know, my parents wanted, like coming from the culture of being from Bangladesh, but I wanted to be a biology teacher. They didn't like um, that either? No, I mean, when I, when I told my, my, and I'm the only child, and when I told my parents that I wanted to be a biology teacher, they almost collapsed. Really? Ground, you what, know, and what were the options that they it, wanted for you? I, I mean, typical, right? Like typical kind of first gen south asian or Bangladeshi parents right they it was doctor dentist computer science technology uh, or lawyer or buck right and for me they kind of had pre-planned computer science as being the thing that i would do now you finish high school what, what came next so after high school i really wanted to go away for college and kind of just experiment kind of being on my own but uh, just the pressures of uh, the culture and being uh, the only child. I uh, kind of took the path that they had set for me, which was to go to a local school. Uh, so Stony Brook University, I had already gotten you know accepted and everything. And I was going to go there for my computer science degree. And that was, uh, that was the path that I, that I went on after high school. How was that for you? Uh, it was pretty terrible. Like, commuting to Stony Brook. How um, long was the commute? I felt it was 15 minutes away from my house and I had my own car, but um, 
it was just the commuting aspect. I feel like I wasn't able to connect with the people there that much. Um, and I felt, I felt really disconnected. That was, if I think back, I, I remember b- feeling very disconnected and not connecting with anyone and not having any kind of support system there. Um, even from not just other students, but also like the faculty it was just a really big school and it just wasn't for me. And I also felt like I just needed to enter the workforce. I had this urge to just get to work and not spend my time in school. Okay. Anything. So what'd you end up doing? So I ended up, you know, going to classes, but just not focusing and my grades weren't that great. Right. And I put maybe two years in of doing that and I wasn't getting anywhere. And, um, in the same time I was working like part-time jobs, I worked at Applebee's and, uh, you know, some other places, but, uh, then I just started looking for jobs. I was getting temp jobs in, in it. That was kind of what I was doing for a couple more years. Uh, after high school. So you, how did you get those temp jobs? Like what skills did you need to get those jobs? I made up on my resume. I just had, you know, all of the different technologies uh, experience that I had, which was really just personal. Um, so I, I took a couple of like uh, courses for MCSE and I got my Microsoft certified practitioner, yeah. which was a very kind of vocational, yeah. practical kind of certification. Um, and then I just had a knack for building computers. Like that was a hobby of mine when I was growing up. So like I just kind of did that and have that skill set of tech support and being able to fix problems. So finding temp work was pretty easy um, to go and just hook up with a company that would place you at different spots for a few months here and there. And but that eventually that well ran dry because of the dot com bubble and bursting and all of that. So now what do you, what was like your first big break, right? You had a string of temp jobs. What was like your first, like, wow, this is like a serious job and I'm, it's going to lead me somewhere. Well, yeah. In between the temp jobs, uh, I, I couldn't. And then after a while, the temp job kind of ran out and uh, there was a lull where I couldn't find anything. And my parents were putting the pressure on me to, to find something, even to go work at McDonald's, right. And changing my career and really like focusing very you know, tactically on what I should be doing. And um, I ended up uh, applying for the Suffolk County Police Department and I scored high on the test and I was ready to like go into the police yeah, yeah, workforce, yeah. right? Because I couldn't find anything else. I went to a recruiter for the army. Like I, I was reaching. At that same time, I was applying to different things, right? And online, like monster.com has just had just become popular, but there were still jobs in newspapers too. You know, it was, it was a crazy time, but my dad at one point took me to apply for jobs like going, imagine like going from office building to office building with like my resume printed out, right? Anyway, um, my first break was a uh, Infusive Solutions was the company. There was a placement company and the recruiter was the, this guy, Merced Chowdhury, who I still connect with in, uh, on LinkedIn. And he gave me this temp position at Forest Laboratories as a help desk person, which was, it was a company on Long Island. They're now acquired multiple times over in pharmaceutical. And now it's part of like uh, uh, AbbVie or something like that. But anyway, I took that position and that was my first major break was I was this help desk person as a temp, temp to hire uh, full time. And uh, that was November of 2005. So you stayed at the company like six, six years about, right? 
Oh yeah. Um, they were a, they were a very family oriented company, even though they were big. And I, some of the people I'm still really best friends with, I met at Forest. And since then, I haven't really connected like that with other people. But that, that was the kind of company it was, right? It was a very kind of close-knit uh, group in technology, in IT, anyway. And um, yeah, I was there for six years. I thought I was going to be there for 20 years, like my dad at his company, but that wasn't the case. But um, they were a great company to work for. So what kind of skills did you pick up in this job? Yeah, so I entered in as a as a help desk uh, analyst, right, as a temp, and then I showed my technical chops, and they and they offered me a full time position as a help desk person, um, and then quickly, you know, almost almost on like a yearly cadence, I got more and more responsibility handed to me, like becoming a technical lead. I really honed my customer service skills on the phone, like speaking with people, and because it was a pharmaceutical, they had Salesforce across the country. And even overseas, and so learning to speak with them, and uh, learning how to enunciate and really pronounce and speak and and get and and even talk people down when they're angry, like all those customer service skills, right? I picked that up, and then I really was able to build on my technical expertise by taking training, building on the pharmaceutical industry itself. But my other big break came when that company started to uh, adopt a formal way of tracking IT called IT service management. And within IT service management, you need a set of tools. And there was a ticketing system that they brought in. And they needed someone to own internally this ticketing system and be the administrator. And they said, hey, Toph, like, you're a smart guy. Like, why don't you do it? And me, my, my philosophy across my entire career has been never say no, right? Unless it's completely unreasonable. Say, say yes to everything. Say no later, right? Say At first, say yes. Explore the opportunity, right? And embrace it. So I said yes. And we had a consulting company, seasoned consultants who were experienced in deploying this, this ticketing system. And so I then, instead of just being the administrator and waiting for them to give me information, I sat shoulder to shoulder with them. I moved where I sat like my desk, right to where they were in their temp space, and put myself as a part of their team. And I said, whatever work you need, data entry, looking at logs, like show me how you do it. So I went from knowing zero to becoming super advanced in a short period of time because I was doing knowledge transfer with the seasoned consultants, like senior consultants, right? So I learned everything about this ticketing system, how to develop on it, how to administer it, how to configure it, and really became the subject matter expert in in that system. Nice. Okay. So how, how long? So now you did that. How did it impact your role at the company? Yeah. So I went from being a really smart guy in the service desk to now being, and, and this was around 2009, 2008, 2009, when this happened. So for that time, I was doing the uh, help, desk, help desk stuff, and then I got this ticketing system to take care of. And when I took that over my position, I then went from reporting to the help desk manager to reporting to the director of transformation. It was a new position that they created. So now, my and my title was now uh, service manage- management analyst or architect or whatever. 
And so it elevated my position. There was a promotion. There was a bump and bonus and all of that. And then there was no one else who did my job. So I had full autonomy to make, to build something from scratch at the company that didn't exist. So, and I became the go-to person for anything related to this ticketing system, technically, but also from a process standpoint on how, and, and people started asking me about how they should be running their departments when it comes to managing in, in IT so they could better integrate with these processes. So I became like a thought leader as well. I mean, this is really good to know because I know oftentimes people who go into help desk, they kind of stay in the help desk route. And it's like hard, it's hard to sort of pigeonhole, like help desk is a great place to start and it's a great way to get in. But sometimes like making that, that change. So in your experience, and you know, you've had a lot of friends in help desk. So that's one way where you take on a project that kind of shows that you're not just a help desk person. What's another, what are other ways that you've kind of seen help desk people transform out of the traditional help desk role and more into the leadership role? Yeah. So at, uh, at Dow Jones uh, and Wall Street Journal, my position there was the head of service management and operations. And the help desk was one of the departments that reported to me. And one of the things that we were super focused on was career path for help desk, right? We didn't want people to just burn out. Nowadays, there's a lot, there's so much opportunity for help desk folks to elevate, right? What I, what I would recommend is if you're in a help desk position and you go through your daily job, when it comes to training and enablement, you should focus on cloud technologies, right? And certifications. Those are super important right now to have. So um, you diversify your technology stack knowledge by taking these certifications and gaining that knowledge. And then there's different levels of support, right? There's the customer service type of help desk, but then there's also a more, you can take a technical track and move into what's called SRE, which is site reliability engineering, right? And from there, you can take some more steps into becoming more of a DevOps engineer, and take the trajectory of a more technical path of becoming a DevOps engineer, an SRE engineer, and then building your competencies in that. Or you could take that management track of becoming a lead and then start leading some of these support teams, desktop support, executive support. Executive support, some people think, oh, it's just like help desk. No, it's a, for desktop support, it's a separate skill set because you're interfacing with executives, their assistants, and it's high pressure. And there's a certain level of professionalism that needs to be there. So there's a different kind of leadership track, and then there's a technical track. Okay. No, folks. I mean, this is very good to know because I, I see a lot of people and I'm kind of advising them. And then this is very good to know. I'll point them to this episode. Now, you mentioned, you know, you worked at the company for, you know, a good amount of time. What, what caused the change? What caused you to leave? And what was your next move after that? Yeah, so at Forest Labs, so as I moved through that kind of arc of, taking over that technical tool, those consultants that we had brought in, eventually I started being in charge of looking at their scope of work and rates and consulting you know, contracts. And I realized that I was super undervalued at that company. And from a salary standpoint, I wasn't making as much as I could if I went out and did maybe consulting myself, right? And part of that is because of that traditional, when you're stuck at a company for a while, you fall into certain scales and pay scales and you just can't make enough. That caused me to start really exploring my opportunities, 
taking all that knowledge that I built and now applying it to, uh, you know, elsewhere. Right. And then I found, um, a company reached out, they were offering a remote, uh, position to do similar work, managing this ticketing system, being a part of a bigger team, though, part of a, uh, a government agency. Right. And it was fully 100% remote, so I could be at home. And that was uncommon back then. Yeah, and this was this was 2012, right? And so this whole the whole team was remote and diverse, but they all worked on this federal government contract. And so I had never entered that contracting world before, so I took the job. It was a full time gig, and um, what I realized very quickly is that at Forest Labs, if you think of like a car. I was operating at like fifth gear, like just hard work all the time, like just really, you know, pedal to the metal. Um, and then at this company, I was doing the same level of work, but, and getting great feedback, but I was in like second gear. Like I didn't have to really, because there was a team of people and support around me. So I didn't have to do everything. Right. But what happened is that I started getting bored because I had a lot of free time. So with that free time, I then started my consulting company at that point in 2013. And that's when like Hindsight Technologies was born. And that was my consulting company until around 2018. Nice. So how was, how was it, you know, in the consulting world? How was it sort of building a company to the side, you know, and sort of managing a full-time job? Yeah, so it was it was interesting. I, I had an advantage in building the company. So one thing I I didn't mention yet is when I was working, I had an opportunity to go to a lot of conferences. And one of the other things I would recommend is if if you're entering into these type of new technology roles, try to get yourself into a presenting at these conferences. Even if you're, you know, working for a company that uses a certain technology. If you can build a deck and present at a conference, that then starts building that brand recognition and name recognition for yourself. And so I did that a lot. So when I started my consulting company, there were people already in the community that knew who I was. And so now they know that I can tap into Tope and bring him into my company to do some small consulting work and word of mouth and even working for the manufacturer of that software. They would sometimes call me directly to go work on their contracts. And because my full-time job was remote, it was remote and there wasn't a set time of working. So I could jump on late at night and do what I had to do and have it not affect my full-time job. And, you know, obviously being single and all of that helps because I didn't have a lot of responsibilities outside of that. So I was able to really, you know, focus on building that business and then also making sure I did my full-time gig. How what, how was that like towards the end? Because I know you left that job, you went to another job. How was that transition like? So what happened with the full-time gig at government, and this is something I learned right about government, is that there's always contractors involved. And I was working for a contractor. And contracts come to an end, and they get renegotiated every couple of years at government. So always be aware of that for anyone who's listening, if you also have any opportunities, right? Government contracting is is a beast in its own. You should really understand it before you enter into that world because you could get hired. And if the next uh, month they're doing a renegotiation of a contract, you could be cut out 
and then your position just goes away and then you're out of a job, right? That didn't happen to me until around 2017. And in 2017, the government agency renegotiated a contract. I was too expensive and they said, hey, we can't afford this anymore. You're basically, you have a month to figure out what you're going to do. Bye. But of course, I had my business, so I was able to kind of have that buffer. Um, and then my last client with my business, consulting, so was uh, Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal. I was helping them, helping uh, a person there who'd been there for 40 years, right, at Dow Jones, how to take their outsourced help desk and bring it back in into their... Because I, I know that was like a trend, right? It was first outsourced, then you bring in-source. Just like now cloud, you know, there was on-prem, now it's cloud, and I'm pretty sure it'll be back on-prem, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was that kind of uh, initiative. And, and so I helped them through that. And then their new CTO uh, came to me and said, Hey, what do you think about being the head of our service management and operations team? So they made an offer that I really couldn't say no to. So with that, I, I took it because it was something that would really elevate my resume and my whole kind of portfolio of work. So I took that and uh, that started my career at Dow Jones for probably around four years. So then your next move was Amazon. How, how was that? And how'd you end up landing the position? So Dow Jones, and the reason I, I left Dow Jones was the commute. Um, I live on Long Island. Uh, Dow Jones, the office, and a lot of my team was in Princeton, oh, New man. Jersey. How'd you even make that commute? So I drove. Uh, I, and I tried so many different paths to make it easier. I tried taking the train, but no matter what you did, it was around three and a oh, half hours oh each way. God. And you did that for three years? I did that for about four years and uh, three days a week. Oh, okay. Uh, two days were remote, three days a week, but it was brutal, right? And it took a toll. Um, and so I decided I, I needed to go do something else. And also, um, what made me decide on going to Amazon is I always flip flop between being a technical person and then going to a management and executive role. And I feel like that was really good for me to do and really smart. And I would recommend that for anyone. Because I feel like if you do too much management, you lose that technical ability, or you, you just get lost in time, right? You lose some time to catch up on your technical skills. And if you're always technical focused, you don't appreciate the management that goes on behind it. Um, so to that end, I always switch between management and tech. And so the opportunity at Amazon was, it was a full-time, you would be a full-time employee for Amazon Web Services, but the role was an operations integration consultant to work with their customers in building out these operations and service management type of abilities that are uh, supporting their cloud migrations with various customers. At that point, I, I felt like I was a good interviewer, and you hear these stories of, Amazons and Googles being so hard to get into. And I saw it as a challenge too, to be like, hey, let's see how I do, right? It, am I the 1% that makes it into AWS or Amazon? Um, so I took that as a challenge and I applied and then got into the interview loop that they call. Cool. So how was it working at Amazon? And you know, what advice would you have for someone who's trying to break in or you know, trying to do well at a company like that? Yeah, Amazon, Amazon's a uh, it's, it's a place where, as an individual, you need to take a lot of accountability and ownership. So if, 
If you're looking for a company that's going to handhold you and walk you through every step, that is not Amazon. That is not AWS. It's a place where you're a builder and you're a learner and you have to find the answers to your questions on your own using the resources that they give you. And they give you a lot of resources. They also expect a lot out of you. Um, they have a very attractive package. They give you stock, like pure stock. They give you a signing bonus, right? If, depending on your level. Good salary. But the, the trade-off is that you're expected to put in a lot of hard work and a lot of hours. So what's a lot of hours? For me, and, and I actually remember hearing this from a, a leader in technology at, a, at an all-hands meeting that they call it raising the bar, right? Um, but 50, working 50 to 60 hours was meeting the bar. That was, what, that was the words that came out of their mouth, right? It was expected that you would work more than 40 hours a week on things, right? And you would bend over backwards for customers and really live and breathe the culture of Amazon. Um, and for someone, by this time, I had, um, I had a child and I had a family and, and I had another child coming, right? My second daughter. It just wasn't... Uh, it was looking more and more like it wasn't going to be some place that I was going to spend a lot of time at, right? It's not as organized as everyone would think being Amazon, um, within the technology teams, it's very much kind of everything's getting built, everything's all over the place, unorganized, you have to find your own path. Yeah, you know, I had someone previously on a podcast who worked at PayPal, and he he almost had a job at Amazon. And it was like, they're going to hire him for it was called capacity engineer. And they were saying how they weren't using AWS. This is the time they weren't using AWS, they were using it for customers. So that internally, they were using something. And I may get it a little wrong, but it was just like, the guy was like, hey, you know, we're having some issues, so we need a capacity engineer. And he asked a question, and he was like, well, did your developers turn the load balancers on? And they're like, no. He's like, well, turn the load balancers on. And so he's like, you don't need a capacity engineer, just need your developers. And, you know, a lot of people have this conception that all these companies are efficient, but it's hard when there's so many moving parts, there's so many different departments that on the front end, right, everything looks good, but you know, there are probably some products that you have no idea or bugs that they're fixing on the back end that you had no idea ever existed. So what caused you to, you know, you eventually left Amazon? What came next? Yeah, so, so then, so understanding the demand at Amazon and the hours that I needed to put in, um, I think some people will understand that I had a certain level of uh, burnout, right? And just, I was, I've been working pretty hard up, up until the, the, you know, at Amazon. So the burnout was real. And um, I just felt I needed a change. And so I applied and interviewed at, at Second Watch, which is a great company. They're, they're not a big company. They're mid-size, right? And they're a partner of uh, AWS and Google. And they do implementations of cloud and do consulting. But the job was uh, called a field alliance manager, the AWS alliance manager. And it's in the sales organization. And it's a role that is kind of the liaison partner relationship between Amazon and that partner. So it was a complete left turn from what I've done in my career. I guess I've done some level of sales because I've had my own company. So I had to do some selling, but never had a role that was my success was tied to some selling uh, quota or anything like that. So it was a big change for me. They took a chance. Uh, my boss, Rich, he, uh, I still talk to him. He's a great, he's a great guy. 
but he took a chance on me. He came from AWS too. And what they really wanted, they were okay with me not having sales experience and even embraced that to say, you don't have any bad habits. You can take your technology excellence and the way you think and apply it to this role. And it was a great role because it helped me detach from that operational pressure type of role and appreciate the sales process, which I never did before. I always thought of the sales as being kind of a, a pretty face that kind of sells things, right? But once I got into that job, just to have one meeting with a customer, all of the 10 meetings that need to happen before that to prepare for it and all the skills that they need to have and all the knowledge they need to build, what I started really appreciating the sales cycle itself. And that now has helped me a lot in my consulting work that I do now. Then you started working at Google. How did that come out to be and how has the role been treating you? Yeah, so out of the blue one day, uh, Google reached out to me, a recruiter, and said, hey, we're hiring for this digital transformation consulting role at Google. And I was joking with, with my wife and I was like, you know, ah, maybe I'll apply, you know, see what happens. Kind of like the challenge of uh, interviewing to say, let's see if I could get into Google, right? So I said, yes, sure. Even though the pay rate wasn't where it needed to be. And I was open with the recruiter. I said, hey, like the rate's a little off, but I don't mind having a conversation. That whole never say no, right? Always say yes. So I embraced that opportunity. I spoke to the recruiter. I spoke to um, another interviewer. And then they put me through a loop, uh, interview loop there. And as it turns out, I did great. And they were so impressed, I guess, that they bumped up the level that I was that that position was for to a level that would meet my salary demands, right? And, um, and all the other stuff, the package. So everything was great. And I took that position. And I have to say, it's one of the best places I've ever worked for. And I've worked at a lot of places. If I compare it to Amazon, I would say Amazon was a, is a retail company that is striving to be a tech, tech company where Google was born a tech company and they know how to run themselves like a tech company. Um, and the level of expertise and the level of professionalism, attention to culture and employee well-being is super important there. Psychological safety, right? Like all of that is present throughout the culture at Google. And we're a young group within Google Cloud. And our practice is very young, such that I get to build, right? I get to build. It's almost like being back at Forest. I get to build my own little practice, our points of view around my domain expertise. And uh, when I work with customers, I work with some of the biggest customers in the world right now. And if you see the news for Google Cloud, any of the recent you know, things that you see in there, I'm probably involved in some of them, right? So in, in some aspect of working with them. So it's great. I get to work with amazing people. I haven't been to an office yet because I took the job during COVID, but the offices are now opening up and I hope to be in one pretty okay, soon nice. to experience all of the free food. And free yeah, I mean, I, I seen pictures. I never got uh, you know, a chance, but yeah, let me know how the offices are. So now looking back, you mentioned one of the things that never saying no. What were some other things you did to get ahead? Just experimentation, right? Like in technology, playing around and always keeping up on technology, whether it's reading blogs, reading white papers, 
a lot of the cloud uh, knowledge that I built was off of the free tiers that they have. So if you go to AWS, if you go to Google, if you go to Azure, they all have a free tier where you can sign up an account and start building servers and start playing with their technology without being charged anything for it, right? And it's a great place to learn and experiment and also practice lab work. So then you could go and gain the expertise and getting certifications. The other thing is the networking, uh, going to conferences. So even if you're in a job where you don't think you're going to be at for a long time, if they give you the opportunity to get training and go to conferences, do that. And at the conferences, don't be the, even if you're an introvert like me, don't be the person that like sits in a corner and like doesn't interact. You're at a conference. What do you have to lose? These are all strangers from across the country anyway. Go and interact with them. Go to local conferences, interact with people, print out business cards, exchange LinkedIn uh, information, and then start joining little groups and forums where you can actually collaborate and be part of that community that, you, that you're interested in. And I think networking is such an important thing these days just to you know, build that brand, build that personal brand and uh, get exposed to new opportunities. Yeah, I mean, networking has changed my life and it's like continues and I think you can kind of say this for like sometimes random things happen through networking that you just could not have predicted, right? Like this person that you did, you built a PC for knows this other person. And it's just like such a, you know, the world of coincidence and it, it just ends up leading to great things. I've never seen it not, or sometimes it just gives you inside info that saves you from taking on an opportunity because you met someone who worked at that company that like, Hey, Toph, this is not a good position. So what are some of the do's and don'ts that you've learned and some of the, and let's focus more on the don'ts because you gave a lot of the do's and what are some like mistakes that to avoid for a lot of people in technology who are trying to move up? The number one would be don't get comfortable, right? Always kind of have that fire under your butt to think that, you know, things may change at any moment. Oftentimes, even uh, companies I've worked at in the past where I've made a move and I've still kept in touch with people who've remained there. Because they're comfortable, they have a job that they go to every day, they have the same people they speak to, they drink the same coffee, whatever it is, right? But there's always wheels in motion. At a business level, at an executive level, there's things happening, acquisitions, layoffs, economy changes. And those things will have direct impacts on your job sometimes. And, and it's stuff that you can't even control, right? So being comfortable and complacent is probably the number one thing to avoid. Uh, because when you're not comfortable, those are that's when you update your resume. That's when you write some cover letters, right? That's when you focus on job searching. And always keep your ear to the ground on technology. Don't avoid reading new things and learning new things because that's the number one killer for careers in my opinion. No, I mean, I've seen it time and time again. Like I've seen people, like I left a job, it's almost four years now, right? And friends like, yeah, yeah you know, I'm going to update and I'm going to make a move. And Four years, you know, it's like a lot of people don't realize it's like the, the time just year one turns to year two, year three. And if you're making okay money and you're happy, you're just going to kind of stay there. Yeah. But the, the big thing in technology is the world passes you by and then Absolutely. you go and it's like, hey, you're working on a legacy system that no one really yeah. knows and you don't have these skills. You're doing, tape, you're doing tape backups and no one uses tape backups anymore except for that one company that you work for. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It's not enough of a need in the market. So it's that's something I would really encourage people to kind of do. Now, in your 
what was the biggest mistake that you personally made? The biggest mistake? Um, sit, even, even going back to high school or? Yeah, you could go back to high school. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I would say um, not having that uh, confidence in going out and doing what I wanted, right? Like, obviously, you know, if I went and became a biology teacher, who knows where my career yeah, yeah, would yeah. be right now, right? I may still be a biology teacher, but I may be the happiest biology teacher ever, right? Instead of uh, where I was, where I experienced a lot of ups and downs and question myself a lot. And do I really want to keep doing this? Right. Even though I've made a great career for myself, was I a hundred percent happy the whole time? Probably not. Right. If I was a little bit more confident in my abilities and what I wanted and going after what I wanted, um, that's probably the biggest mistake I made. But other than that, everything else is a learning opportunity for me. I mean, that's a good perspective because it's like, I think, look, I'm Bengali too. I came here when I was three years old. And it's funny when you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like my mom, I think the other day, she was like, yeah, people with your degree don't have this type of jobs. And, and, you know, I had an argument with her, but it was just one of those things that it's just like, I'm glad I didn't like listen to her because it's like, they'll never be happy. It's always like some other kid who has a 98 or who has this career. And so, you know, it, it, it sucks, but it's just, it is what it is. Now, how has the industry changed over time? Because, you know, the technology sector has like ups and downs. They have different trends. And I think in the last three years, it's just like really exploded, right? Like if I could go back, I would have focused more on the tech industry just because I've seen how the companies grow. I've seen how generous the companies are, right? Like the stock options and all that and like the financial companies and other companies, they don't give you stock options to literally like AVP and stuff. Whereas like I, my cousin started at Facebook and he got, you know, like 50K a year in stock at like 24. So how have you seen the industry change over time and where do you kind of see it going? Yeah. So from a technology perspective, I think cloud kind of changed the game, right? Back in 2006, when AWS really started picking up steam. Um, and now you have so many different cloud providers. It's opened up new business models, right? Like think of Uber and Netflix. DoorDash, Spotify, those companies wouldn't exist if cloud wasn't here. Because to to create the infrastructure that they did in uh, on prem, yeah, it's like, not going to happen. You would never make any money, right? You would be always losing money. So now with cloud, I think it opened up all these different types of businesses, which then increases the demand and technology talent. And so now it's no longer talent fighting to get into companies; it's companies fighting for talent. And so that's why these companies have really had to lean into providing perks, providing benefits, providing hiring bonuses and all sorts of stock incentives to attract people into working for them. You look at a company like Meta and Facebook, or even uh, not to pick on Facebook, which because everyone does and it's easy to do so. But even if you look at legacy companies like telco and you know cable and satellite, all these older companies, they're finding it, they're bleeding talent right now. People are leaving because they don't need to stay. They're getting paid more to join a startup or join a company that's more of a, a cloud first way of doing business, right? Where the developers are free to develop. They're not lied to, tied to uh, legacy processes and things like that. And they're getting more money on top of it and training opportunities. So these companies now are coming to people like me to say, 
how do we become more like Google? How do we become more like Amazon and Spotify so that we can hold on to talent and attract new talent? If someone had a choice now, whether to go to some old telco company or Spotify, they're going to go work at Spotify, right? They're not going to go work at the old you telco know, It's company. true because my friend, when he first started his career, right, he had an offer from Facebook and GE. And I'm, I'm glad he chose Facebook because then he went to Facebook, then Twitter, and now he works at Snapchat. If he would have been at GE, it would have been just like a different route. And it, 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 like people do look at those companies and it, those companies have built up their brand and some of that brand goes and, you know, goes on to the employees, right? Now, like, you know, I think I, I worked at MetLife and it's a big company, whatever, Fortune 50, but no one, no one cares. Like, no one cares. Oh, I worked at MetLife. No one cares. Like, you know, and they got rid of the stupid logo too. So it like has nothing going for it. But these are things to really consider, especially when a move in technology, like these fun, exciting startups. And you get great experience and you meet great people and the people you end up going to, they're, you know, they have a network, they go to good companies. So you have sort of a good future as long as you, you know, stay in touch. Now, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? And you could go one personal and one professional. Personal would be, uh, I never thought I would be a parent to multiple children and be good at it. And, uh, you know, I think I'm doing a pretty good job so far. So I look to continue that. So personally, for me, that's my biggest accomplishment, right? Is being a good dad. And professionally, I would say, just building when I had my company, just building it to a point where I had a couple of consultants who worked for me, building it from scratch and learning everything, and then being able to close it out with getting the biggest client that I had, and then going on and using that as a springboard to further build my career. And knowing now that in the future, if I ever wanted to go back to consulting, I already kind of know how to build that business. So that was, that was my greatest accomplishment. And not saying no, right? Always saying yes. So now I think I have an idea, but what was the hardest period of your life that you went through? Yeah, it was it was in between that time after high school and getting that first job, right? It was I was in such a state of turmoil. I couldn't find a job. Um, I was having serious doubts whether I could be a technologist, right? And no one was really supporting me either. And uh, just finding my own way in that time was probably the toughest, right? To, to get that first foot in the door. And, and I didn't know how to, so I had all the feelers out and it happened that the recruiting environment helped, right? Like I found a recruiter that was decent enough to put me in a place where he thought I could be a good fit. What would you tell that 18, 19 year old Toph? Like what would you tell him, you know, with the knowledge you have now? Yeah, I would say keep building that work ethic, like working at different jobs, doing everything 100%. That was something I always did. So keep doing that. But don't lose faith in uh, yourself and and find people that can support you, right? Even if it's in your network, like in LinkedIn, right? If it's a recruiter that you really like and got along with, go out for coffee with that person, right? If they're willing to do it, build those relationships and personal relationships, because that'll then help in the future. Being an introvert, that's hard, but like, you know, the more someone can do that at that age, the better for them in the long run. Was there ever a time that the lack of a college degree held you back with these companies? Like they said, hey, Toph, we require a degree or were you able to get past that? I don't think it's ever held me back, but it's always been on my mind. I've always had to get creative when mentioning college in my resume and on job applications, except for until Google. But before Google, it was like pursuing, right? 
Like I was always pursuing a degree, even <laughs> though I've, I've been pursuing one for like 15 yeah. years. Um, but uh, it, it's always been on my mind. It's never really held me back, but I've never been able to use it to my advantage either, right? Because I don't have it. So, but thankfully I haven't had to. And at Google, they didn't really care except for when uh, at the end of the recruiting process, they just said, hey, just we need to know why so that we can just... Yeah, check it off. If, if, if a question comes off, like, what do we yeah. say? And I said, well, I just, at this point in my career, it would be financially stupid for me to go and spend 100K <laughs> on a piece of paper. Yeah, And right? even, not even the money, because Stony Brook is still not that expensive. It's the time, right? Your time is just better spent than being with like 18 to 21 year olds and learning something that you probably are not going to use, right? Or, or you just have more knowledge of. Now, would, would you say that you felt insecure about having the degree? Not having the degree? Yeah. And when did you ever get over it? Uh, I think only recently. Um, you know, I, I, I've gotten over it. I think I've always been insecure about it. Even uh, former colleagues and stuff and, and friends that I have, um, I always skirt around the issue, right? It's always assumed that I have yeah, a degree. Yeah, yeah. Everyone assumes it, right? Because I speak well yeah. or whatever. Whatever stereotypes you want to attach to it. Um, so it's always been a topic, like I could never talk about my college experience, that yeah. kind of thing. But recently, you know, and, and a lot of it ha has to do with meeting, uh, my wife, Lori, yeah. and, and she really helped me kind of come out of that shell to say like, who cares? Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't matter. You're happy in life. You're a good dad. You have a family, you have a great job. Why, why are you going to dwell on not having a degree? Yeah. You know? no, I mean, look, it's, it's good. Uh, look, I, I have a master's degree from Columbia and I have like the, the proper whatever Begali, but you know, I'm not a medical, I'm not a doctor from Harvard, so I don't have that level. But trust me, if I could go back, I probably wouldn't even go because I would just go 18. I'd probably go boot camp. I'd probably, you know, it's just, you can do so much more during that time and, you know, you can go. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, people assume I don't have a, it's funny. People assume I don't have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, and it's interesting because I, I never had any issue because people just, again, people will have assumptions about current thing. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, they'll talk to you. They'll buy from you. They'll support you. They'll do that. And that's really what matters, right? It's right? exactly. So now, what advice would you have for someone 18 years old who sort of wants to get into the career that, you know, or get into the jobs you did? What What would you tell them to start doing? Because now, especially more than ever, I think, you know, there are like apps on your phone where you can learn how to code. And it's just, it's, it's a free for all. Yeah. Like back then, it was just so different. Like on prem, like you couldn't test things because you needed on prem and all that. Now it's like you'd really yeah. test it. So, what advice do you have for someone 18 years old who's looking to get into the field? Yeah, I would say take advantage of those free tiers in cloud to start building in the cloud and learn a language, uh, a programming language, whether it be Python or uh, some other scripting language, right? Um, start small and just uh, learn how to code, learn how to build a mobile app, right? You could experiment um, and and start there. If you want to build an app, build an app. If you want to write some code to make your life easier, you could even write uh, integrations in AWS that help you build skills in Alexa, right? So it doesn't always have to be like work-related. It could be something that makes your own life better. Um, one person at Google has an on-air light, like on the radio, that he's built into his Alexa skill or Google skill, where when he tells it that I'm busy, it turns that light on. So his family, when he's working from home, knows not to 
uh, disturb them. So just something interesting like that, right? You could build as a 18, 19 year old who's way more creative because they don't have that much stress and responsibility. So their brains can be used for things much more fun and interesting than mine per se. Yeah. No, and that's great advice because I, a lot of people think that it has to be this big project and it's like, start with oh. something little like turning, automating this or doing this or automating your coffee machine or whatever. And then that yeah. goes to next. Oh, I could automate this. I could automate that. And it's about the creativity yeah. and the conversation and what caused you to solve the problem. Because a lot of times people think, yes, you can have the skills, but you have to be able to identify the problem. That's the skill in yeah. itself. And then identify a realistic solution that's practical, right? Because there are a lot of people who could identify all the problems in the world, but then it's, what's a practical solution and how'd you do it and how much did it cost and how can you apply those skills to other things? And I think that's a great skill. Now let's kind of talk about money and you don't have to share your, you know, but what are like the salary ranges that sort of people in your roles can sort of expect? What are the signing bonuses and what's like entry level and what's like, hey, you know, if you're 10, 15 years in your career, here's like a realistic standpoint of what you can get. Obviously, geography has a lot to do with it. So a lot of companies now kind of are recalibrating based on if you're going to be full-time remote versus if you're going to be on-site at an office, they have different pay scales for that, right? Um, but as an example, a company like Amazon or Google will probably be on the average range. Like if you look at salary scales per position, whatever like you know, Glassdoor or something tells you, then expect Amazon and Google to be from middle to high range. But then they they do what's called a total compensation package, which then takes you into account this slow release of stock that they're going to give you every year until you fully vest, and then any signing bonus, right? And that signing bonus can be 10% of your salary, 20% of your salary. But the magic answer for people who are looking to get into this is that all of that can be negotiated, right? They may not even offer a signing bonus straight away uh, for an entry-level position, but you can ask for it during the negotiation. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, a, a good reason is, hey, I'm actually taking a little bit of a pay cut to join your company. But in this first year, in order to, to compensate for that, can you give me a signing bonus that covers the gap? Right? That's a good way yeah, to yeah, enter yeah. into that discussion, right? And if you look at like a help desk in New York, uh, an entry level position is probably fetching forty five to fifty K per yeah, year. Yeah, my friend, my business partner is hiring, so it's around the forty five to fifty. 45 to 50, if you're good, maybe some experience, 55, but it's a you know great place to start. It's a great place to start. And then you build from there, right? Like at Forest, I started, I started at 50K when I went full-time there. Um, and then when I was a lead, and by the time I went into that other role, I was at 75. So it took a few years to get to that. A couple of bonuses and promotions and things like that. And then by the time I left Forest, I was at around 95 with bonuses, right? And then when I got hired at that uh, contractor to support remote, I was at 115. And this was back in 2012. It still wasn't how it was in 2005, but it still was much, you know, 115 is probably closer to like a realistic 95-ish today, right? Yeah. And, and, and so now... Uh, you know, now I'm making considerably more, but I also have yeah, more you know, responsibilities a more and a lot more ex experience yeah. too. Okay. 
So now looking yeah. back at the education system, how would the education system be more helpful to someone like you? If I had to go back now, no, 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 just in, go, in general, yeah. like, hey, you know what? I wish I had more of this. I wish I had more hands-on experience because a lot of times you go through emotions, they, you know, you get the grades and stuff. And even college, like how could it have been a better so that, or maybe it, it, it couldn't, right? Maybe it just couldn't offer the environment that you're looking for. I think in education, they, especially in technology, I think it needs to be more than just professor-driven coursework because books get old the minute they're printed, right? And probably before they're printed. The professors are teaching so much that they are not always current on the latest technology. So I think educational systems need to adjust and start bringing in certification programs as part of their curriculum, because that's the only way that you're going to stay current. It's great to have the theory and everything behind it, the concepts of computer science and coding and how coding first came about, what are the core building blocks. But then you quickly have to pivot to how it's being applied today so that by the time you leave college, you're well-equipped. And even when you're in college, you're interested, right? Um, if you're a technologist like me who's active in the industry while going to college, it, none of it made any sense. Like in the real world, I'm doing things four years ahead of what they're teaching in college, right? So it was either not interesting or not current, um, both of which are a recipe for creating a bad student. Yeah, right? definitely. So what are your future goals now? You have a long career. You have, you know, 15 plus years. What is, what is the next step? Like, what are your future goals? What do you want to accomplish now? Yeah, I would say, you know, aside from continuing this consulting experience at, at Google, I think in the future, it would be great to go back and run an organization. Uh, whether it's at a C level as a CIO, a CTO, or you know even a VP, right? To build something from scratch, uh, if I can build that financial security where I don't have to worry about things like benefits and all of that, then entering into the startup world, right, and and working with startups to help build their uh, organizations, especially startups that are maturing, where they're in a lot of flux, where they're going from that small to hyper growth. And they need to actually build some structure and scaffolding in their organization to manage it like a business in the technology sector, where it's not a free-for-all anymore, like build whatever you want, but do it with some financial control so you're not just wasting all the money. Um, so I'd love to get into like that world, right? The startup world. Cool. So, you know, now that we're coming to a close, is there something that you you know you're dying to share with the audience that we haven't talked about already? Yeah, I mean. I think it's just, especially people from who are like first gen, like me, uh, from from the culture, don't be afraid to oppose the status quo, right? Be and 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 be be brave, and you know, be okay to fail sometimes, and take those chances because and and you know, say yes within reason to all your opportunities because you never know what could happen. That's the best advice I could give, right? And it, the cultural norms and social norms, if it makes you happy, great. But if it doesn't make you happy, don't feel like you're stuck, right? And don't feel, and there's others like you around. Don't feel alone. Like you're the only one. It's easy to say, I'm, to feel like you're the only one going through it, but there's always other people that are going through it, right? And reach out and find places that can help and 
bring you connections with people that are going through the same thing you no, are. That's great advice because oftentimes you feel like they're alone, but oftentimes it's because people just bottle it in and they don't share. And then when you realize you're not alone, it's sometimes just knowing you're not alone is the big sigh of relief. Like, hey, there are other people who are going through what I do. I'm sure there's a subreddit out Dude, there. Dude, there's somewhere. a subreddit for everything. It's just ridiculous, like <laughs> everything. And it's cool to see. Now, how would someone get in contact with you if someone wanted to reach out, had some questions and all that? How would they reach out? Oh, yeah. Um, LinkedIn. I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so you could find me by my name. Uh, so I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, put it in the show notes. Um, and then my email at Google is easy. It's my first name, Toph, at google.com. Uh, so it's very easy to reach out. And I welcome any connection, any anyone who wants advice. I'm, uh, I'm open. Yeah. So I just want to really thank you for this time. I think it's always good to see someone who's really started from, you know, help desk to, you know, now you're at a much higher level and you know your career is still growing. I think the advice you gave was good. So thank you so much for your time. And, you know, I wish you the best in your career and I wish the best for you and your family. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It was great. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.